Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. And good afternoon. Welcome to the Steve Jones Show, News Radio 1070 WKOK. SteveJonesShow.com. Miss any of the live shows? Go to our podcast page at SteveJonesShow.com, and the podcast also available on both iTunes and Google Play and the Apple Podcast app. Steve enjoying a well-deserved vacation this week. I'm Sean Carey in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, Ford, Lincoln, Hyundai in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia on the Strip, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Penn State head football coach James Franklin spoke to the media earlier today in Chicago at Big Ten Football Media Day. We will have a portion of that at 335. And we'll also be reliving some of the great interviews that Steve has conducted on this show over the past year or so. Speaking of Penn State football, uh, we went back in time yesterday with one of the Nittany Lion legends, Mike Reed, a replay from last September, also last September leading up to the 50th anniversary, uh, marking the first game. Joe Paterno was head coach at Penn State. We had a chance to speak with Jack Ham's team, uh, Jack Ham's teammate, Steve Smear. Uh, we will have the Steve Smear replay in just a few moments. Also, We'll go back to last summer, talk about the fastest man on the planet, talking about Usain Bolt at the Olympics when we had a chance to speak with Otto Bolton, the track analyst from NBC Olympic coverage. Otto will join us later this hour. And then in the 4 o'clock hour, we will have replays of Peter King from Sports Illustrated and TheMMQB.com. We spoke with Peter in January, right before the last Super Bowl. And a little over a month ago, Phil Bork, the old two-nighter, uh, was with us after the Pittsburgh Penguins locked up their second consecutive Stanley Cup championship. So we will have King and Bork next hour, Smear, Franklin, and Bolden this hour. And replays throughout the rest of the week, we're looking forward to uh, uh, giving you one more time, including Rick Neuheisel and Ed Henry tomorrow. Uh, Phillies overall number one draft pick Adam Hazley, currently with the Williamsport Crosscutters. Uh, we spoke to him earlier this month. We will replay that on Thursday. And the keeper of the cup, Philip Pritchard, uh, we'll replay that interview on Thursday. If you're wondering where the Stanley Cup has been, it's been with various Pens players over the last few weeks. And today it is in Russia. And I would not be surprised that Philip Pritchard is with the cup. Just waiting for some photos. Pritchard loves to tweet photos. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury had the Stanley Cup on Saturday, and Philip Pritchard posted a photo of Fleury pumping gas at a gas station. (laughs) And what was locked in in the seatbelt riding shotgun (laughs) in Marc-Andre Fleury's SUV? The Stanley Cup. It's a pretty cool picture. It was very cool last September having Steve Smear on the show. Very pleased to bring in one of the true greats in Penn State football who's 
Our paths have crossed many times over the years now. Steve Smear. Steve, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Hey, Steve. Glad to be with you. <laughs> All right. Let's get. Let's at least get to the the, the big part first. Everyone okay. knows that along the way, uh, Steve Smear th- uh, was able to at least mention to somebody, you know, about this guy he played high school football with. So you can set the story straight as to how Jack Ham got to Penn State. Well, you know, it, it, it happened this way. Uh, he came up to Penn State in, I think, uh, right after the last uh, um, blue-white game of my the game, the blue-white game in my freshman freshman year, and um, so he comes up and he stays with me. First of all, he watches me playing the spring game, and uh, I was moved to defensive tackle, and I was terrible, you know. And so after the game, after the blue-white game, he says to me, uh, you stink. And I said, I know. I I can't play here, you know. So we go over to... um, to meet with a, a group of recruits that these were mostly guys that already decided to go to Penn State and Hammer is like you know he's like uh, nobody talks to him he, I, don't, I don't even think Joe said hello to him <laughs> so both of us you know I'm, I'm wanting to transfer and he's like uh, why did they why did they invite me up they didn't even talk to me you know I said hey don't worry we'll go to IUP so about uh, two or three days later I get a call uh, from you know the secretary and Joe office to come and see him and I thought oh boy you know he's heard him thinking about transferring because the last time he had his secretary call me was after my first term uh, that year when I got a 1.6 and um, <laughs> he, uh, he he was like giving me the uh, you know the, the, the stuff about my mother he, I, you know I was going to break my mother's heart and you know I was the worst human being on the face of the earth so I'm thinking what am I going to do he's going to you know he's going to say hey, I heard you're going to transfer, and, you know, I was really worried about it. So I go up there, and uh, the first thing Joe does, I go in, and I'm a little little nervous, and he says, uh, hey, don't worry about playing defensive tackle. You'll be okay. He said, but the real reason why I called you up is we had somebody back out of a scholarship, and we have one scholarship uh, to give. And he said, um, I don't want you to tell me how good of a football player you know you, you think Hammer is, but uh, I want you to tell me what kind of a person he is. And uh, I said, well, you know, there's no question that he's a, a great person. He's going to work hard. He's going to do everything you ask him to do. And he said, on that recommendation, I'm going to take him. You know, so he took him, Steve. And of course, when he brought him up to Penn State, uh, you know, in in the uh, that first year, he was the best player by far of that freshman class and that that included you know the high school Americans and all that good stuff and and what was funny was when Joe when Joe presented him at the Hall of Fame um, you know when when Hammer got inducted into the Hall of Fame Joe Joe got up and he said uh, you know everybody thinks uh, I'm so smart he goes um, you know about this ham guy and he said you know we didn't even have to give him a scholarship his dad was going to pay his way to go to go to Penn State so how smart am I we wasted a scholarship on him we wouldn't have had to pay him that for that first we wouldn't have had to pay for a scholarship that first year and so you know uh, it, 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 it hits home I, I, one other one other funny story about Joe I, I, and I was thinking about when, with recruiting I can remember one 
time I went to a gathering down in um, Washington, D.C., and there were a bunch of high rollers down there. Must have been 500 people in the room, and and I don't know. The the question came up. A guy raises his hand, and Joe asked, you know, Joe said, "Okay, you got a question?" And the guy starts off by saying. Joe, I don't know how well we're doing recruiting. Notre Dame got this player and that player and this player, and I said, "Oh boy," because I knew I knew what was going to happen. And if I, I thought, "Oh boy," but this guy is going to get creamed. And Joe goes, "What are you talking about? I don't even know if the kids that we recruit as freshmen, I don't even know if they're going to fall in love with some girl and never even show up for the first practice of freshman year." You know? And I thought that guy, if that guy could have crawled under that table, you know, 500 people there, you know, Joe, what are you talking about? I don't know anything about these kids. We don't know anything. We don't even know if they're going to show up, you know? And, oh, God. You know? The, the, so, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, I mean, Steve, it was priceless. I mean, because as soon as he as soon as the guy said, you know, about recruiting and I thought oh, oh at, th- God. at that point your heart sinks you know yeah, that I, there are certain because, subjects <laughs> yeah you know you know Joe about a freshman you tell somebody coming in and that's when freshmen didn't play yet you know right and uh, he just, I, the poor guy, you know, I thought, oh, wow, you know, just crawl under the table, you know, just get out of here, whatever, you know. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was the yeah. story. Well, I'll tell you, and the interesting about Jack is uh, Joe told me a few years ago, he said, you know, when we got brought Jack into camp, he said, after the first week, he said, I looked at all the other assistant coaches. I said, how did people miss on this guy? He said, yeah, I, I did. Yeah. You know, he was phenomenal. What was yeah. Joe like, though, in the early days? Neil Smith said the other, the other day, he said, look, he really was driven hard early. He thought because he was trying to prove to everybody, look, I, I can be a head coach. I mean, is that what yeah. you sensed early on, too? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, uh, you know, he... Uh, he was, you know, because he had that, you know, that first year, that five and five year, and then, you know, we started off losing the Navy, uh, you know, that our sophomore year, and um, I mean, he made those changes uh, right away on defense. I mean, you know, um, the Miami game was our second game, and uh, uh, hey, you know, he, I don't know that he started any of us. He might have started one or two of us, but then he put us in. Um, he kind of staggered us into the. Game game and by the end of the game you know there were seven sophomores playing and um yeah i i really think uh you know because i think there were a lot of people in uh, in pennsylvania you know i mean this guy's dropped in here from brooklyn you know with the accent and uh yeah. you know all that stuff and i think uh, they looked at him like a martian you know and uh, <laughs> uh and 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 they thought you know hey this guy you know he this guy didn't play big time football he's an ivy leaguer you know all those kinds of things and I, and I think I think he did have a a little bit of a anxiety about the whole thing, but uh, uh, you know he you know he just um, he had a great staff. You know we had really really good guys. We had you know uh, Jim O'Hora who was my coach. That we had J T White, and of course we had um, uh, um, Bad Rad. You know who was uh, a true. He's going to be there. Rad <laughs> Rad's going to be there uh, on. Uh, 
uh, to, on Friday, and it's it's funny because I called Rad, you know, uh, when we were going to put this thing together, you know, when they were putting this thing together for uh, okay, I was going to say the, why for the Letterman, <laughs> for the Letterman. So I call, you know, and uh, Rad answers the phone, and uh, I, you know, I said, Hey, Rad, you got to make it. You gotta, can you come up to the uh, to the thing on on you know uh, for for the uh, Letterman, and he goes, you know. I didn't think I could. He said, do you know what I'm doing now? And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm a consultant at Westminster. <laughs> so he's coaching. He's a consultant. He's 80 years old. Oh, you know? my goodness. And, uh, he's amazing. And, uh, you know, he is just a piece of work. He was he was Hammer's recruit when he came up there, so that was a kiss of death, you know, too. Yeah, you know, yeah. that, Rad, that Rad endorsed Hammer was, uh, you know, the kiss of death, you know. Oh, my goodness. Um, how much did your relationship with Joe change over the years once you moved on and then got your life established as he continued to coach? Well, you know, there there were a couple things, you know, of course, in, in you know, in my life that, uh, you know, weren't, weren't the best. You know, we had a autistic son and... Uh, which you, know, you and I have, you and I have done that autism yeah. walk yeah. ten years, and yeah. you show up every year. It's been uh, yeah. an important cause for you. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, Joe was real, you know, very sympathetic and very, you know, very helpful in that. And he, uh, I know with uh, a lot of other guys too uh, over the years, you know, um, who who Joe, uh, you know, helped and um, and you know he he uh, he was always the first thing he always wanted to know was how, you know how the kids, you know how the kids. And, uh, you know, he always talked about my kids. And, you know, he and Sue, you know, were unbelievable in that. Um, the thing that amazed me is, you know, my mom, my father died when I was, uh, um, you know, six months old. And my mother remarried when I was 12. And then my stepfather died almost, you know, immediately of a stroke. So my mom's name really wasn't Smear. It was Ditko, D-I-T-K-O. And of all the people that recruited me, the only ones that ever remembered to call her by her, you know, her, her last name, which was Ditko, were the Paternos. They were, they were unbelievable, and they never forgot her name. And I, I often, you know, thought to myself, geez, how, how do they, they recruit, you know, you know, hundreds and hundreds of kids over the years, and for them to remember, you know, my mother's um, married name was, um, you know, it was really unique, and it was really neat, and I mean, it was, it was a little thing but it was uh, it was uh, it was it was kind of uh, kind of good and uh, and I, and again you know they they would always ask about my mom and and of course I was recruited um, um, uh, there was a priest involved Monsignor Fleming from uh, uh, from Johnstown was involved uh, you know with uh, with my recruiting and stuff and uh, uh, they always remembered him and uh, you know it was just um, you know I I always uh, Joe was Joe was a tough guy. Um, at times, and you know, and he he had his you know things about what the way he wanted things done and stuff. But I always thought he he was so committed to um, the way he wanted things done, and whether you liked it or not, that's the way it was going to happen. And it was a sign of a of a leader. And uh, uh, there were always there were things that I always always think about stuff that he said, like uh, if you keep hustling, something good will happen. Yeah. You know, he used to always tell us that. And and Steve, honestly, I always I told my kids that. You know, I 
always said, hey, look, whether you're playing sports, uh, you know, you got uh, you got an assignment to do in school, um, you know, you got a business opportunity. Just remember, if you keep hustling, something good will happen. And um, uh, that always hit home with me, uh, and it always will. And that was a great saying. It's simple, but very good. Steve, finally, uh, with all the twists and turns and, up and ups and downs that any life brings, what is it about Penn State and what is it about Joe Paterno that, for you, uh, brings back a fondness and a foundation for your life? Well, first of all, I, I belong to a great fraternity, the Grand Experiment. Uh, I'm proud of, uh, of the guys that I played with and the guys that have played before and after me. And so I look, I, I know that Joe brought us all together. He picked us, and most of us have, have done very, very well, both at foot, in football and outside of football. And we owe it to Joe uh, because he, he, he was the uh, stabilizing force in our lives. And I think uh, other than our parents, um, uh, Joe, was, Joe was that person that uh, meant a lot to us. And uh, through thick and thin, um, you know, he, he, he was a great man for us. So, um, And I think if you talk to most of the guys, that's what they'll say. Well, Steve, you know it's uh, always a privilege for me to have uh, any few minutes that we ever get together. I enjoy it very much, and because of you, I get to work with Jack Ham. So I'm really eternally grateful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be listen. I'll be seeing him over the weekend, and uh, he got me one of those cheap rooms at the oh. uh, Penn Stater. Of so, course, he did. Uh, I, yeah, and so I, I'm. I, I just was in touch with the mortgage company. I'm going to take out a mortgage to pay for the two nights. That I'm Staying at the Penn Stater. I told him thanks a lot. You know? Only so, hammer. Here's what, I, I, here's what I told him. I said, I'm not taking out my wallet one time there. You're buying me food and and alcohol while I'm up there. Okay? So that's what we're that's the plan. And maybe we'll meet up with Reed too. We'll meet up with Mike. We'll have a good time. Yeah, Mike will be up here and oh, and by the way, better ham the Prue. So, well, you know you know how Rodney is to prove. He always Wait a minute. That's a letterman function. You didn't letter, you know? <laughs> he's, he's That's Jack. So That's what he'd say. He gets Prover so bent out of shape. He goes, uh, wait a minute. That's a letterman function. You didn't letter, Steve. You can't come, you know? So, <laughs> he, i tell you what. He drives the state kid real deep. But, uh, you know, we uh, that's the way we've been. But we've been doing We've been acting like this since we were 18, so so you know what the heck might as well not change now never change my friend thanks so much Sounds Steve good. I appreciate okay. this so much I look forward to seeing you Friday night yeah see you then Jonesy bye bye Steve Spear <laughs> was that as enjoyable <laughs> I could have done I could have sat here for three hours and talked to him he's one of the easiest nicest people to talk to Great family. Oh, my goodness.
Oh, what a great guy. Steve Jones and Steve Smear from last September here on the Steve Jones Show. Steve, enjoying vacation this week. I'm Sean Carey in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, Ford, Lincoln, Hyundai in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury. And Sunbury Motors, Kia on the Strip, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We've got a news update with Matt Catrillo coming up. And then in the next half hour, we'll go to Chicago. Penn State head football coach James Franklin spoke to the media earlier today during during a Big Ten football media day. So we'll have a portion of that. And then we will replay from NBC Olympic coverage, Otto Bolton on the one and only Usain Bolt. That's coming up here as we continue hour one of the Steve Jones Show, our best of edition on WKOK. Four city blocks of new Ford trucks. Over 40,000 trucks sold. SMC is where you want to be. Sunbury Motors Ford has over 110 new Ford trucks. And during July, they'll include a complimentary accessory package. With the purchase of any new F-150 through July 31st, receive a tonneau cover, molded splash guards, and window deflectors at no additional charge. SMC is where you want to be because they have the largest selection of new Ford trucks in all of central Pennsylvania. And that means the biggest savings. Take up to $13,500 off on new F-150s. And SMC has them starting as low as $23,919. Save up to seven grand on 2017 Ford Escapes. And they're slashed as low as $19,380. Explorers, Edges, and Expeditions have discounts up to eleven grand. SMC is where you want to be in July for this mega summer spectacular sale and the complimentary F-150 accessory package. Sunbury Motors in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury. F-150 accessory package valued at $6.99. Excludes prior sales and ordered units. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. We're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors Ford Lincoln Hyundai, the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia. On the strip, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf. Steve will be back next Tuesday. I'm Sean Carey. Best of the Steve Jones Show this week. Replaying some of the top interviews that Steve has conducted over the past year, including one with NBC track and field analyst from the Olympics coverage, Otto Bolden. We'll have that replay in less than 10 minutes. Also in just a few moments, we'll go to Chicago for... Penn State head football coach James Franklin will replay some of his comments from earlier today when he spoke to the media at Big Ten Football Media Days. But first, this day in sports history is back in 1966. Ted Williams inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, played 21 seasons for the Red Sox, though he missed almost five seasons due to military service. He was named to 19 All-Star Games, won the American League MVP twice, and was a career 344 hitter. 1978, Pete Rose, then of the Cincinnati Reds, broke the National League record for consecutive base hits. Got a hit in 38 straight games. And in 1990, Ann Barr sang the national anthem in San Diego before a Padres baseball game, and she was booed for her performance. Can you imagine if there was social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram back then? I think the backlash would have probably doubled or even tripled compared to what she had to go through back then. So that is this day in sports history. Today we're getting fired up for football. We're now less than 40 days away from the start of the Penn State football season. Penn State and Akron here 
from Beaver Stadium on News Radio 1070 WKOK with Steve Jones and of course Jack Ham. Earlier today at Penn's at a Big Ten Football Media Days in Chicago, Penn State head football coach James Franklin spoke, talked a little bit about Joey Julius, Saquon Barkley, and Trace McSorley. Again, I think internally not very different. You know, I think probably the thing internally that's different is that we've had so many players play significant time last year and have success that are coming back. So I think you know, we were one of the younger teams in college football last year. You know, having all that experience come back helps. So I think that's internally probably a difference. You know, externally, that's where it's it's different. You know, I think, like I mentioned, I think you know, there's obviously a lot, a lot of people talking nationally about Penn State. There's more conversations going on, but again, that that's not something that really affects us a whole lot. You know, my argument is in 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 our community, there's always high expectations, and I think obviously, you know, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm not aware that this year's a little bit different, but I just I think Penn State there's a place where there's always really, really high expectations. That's a good thing, right? Because that's where you want the program very much so. James, Joey Julius uh, yesterday last night tweeted that he's you know, successfully completed uh, treatment all day. Um, what did he meant to your program and how did that decision have to come about? Is it his decision to not be on the team this year? Yeah, you know, I, I think obviously, you know, I'm not going to get into the specifics of this because it's a, it's a delicate situation. But for us, ultimately, the most important thing for us is the health and welfare of our players and make sure that they're in a really, really good place. And, and we love Joe and we support Joe. And he has been a huge part of our program. We'll, we'll continue to be. What are your options for, for replacing him, James, as a kickoff? Special. Well, you got Tyler, who I think would really like to do it. You know, I think Tyler has some aspirations and wants to kick in the NFL one day. So, you know, being able to do both would be important for him. He has the ability to do that. Blake Gillikin is a guy who did all three in high school, punt, uh, kickoff, and, and field goals, and was pretty good at it. Um, and then, obviously, we got Alex Barker. So there, there are some options there as well. well. We'll kind of see how this thing plays out. You know, it's not ideal because we've got a really good situation where had one of the better kickoff guys in the country, one of the better punters in the country, one of the better field goal guys in the country. And I think when you limit how many things they have to do, it, it's helpful. So you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just see how this, this kind of plays out. We have to solve our kickoff guy. We have to solve our, our long snapping situation. Uh, they'll do our camp on special teams. James, have you, have you noticed a, a change in Trace at all? I mean, this year he's getting a lot of national attention, obviously, preseason watch list, things of that nature. Have you noticed a change in him at all? Again, I think as an organization and, and with our players, there's obviously a lot more noise outside of our program, you know, externally. Um, but we kind of try to keep our process as consistent as possible, try not to get too high or try not to get too low. Uh, Trace is a really steady guy. I mean, he doesn't talk a whole lot. When he does, people listen. I thought that was just during the recruiting process, but, you know, I know I have a very close relationship with his mom and dad, and that's who he is. You know, he's not changing. Um, so, I, I, again, I, I'm not sitting here and saying that our players and our coaches and our administration aren't aware of what's going on externally, but we try to keep our, our process as consistent as possible, and we try to be as 
kind of as steady and as level as we can. We don't want to get too high and we don't want to get too low with things. And, and I don't want to make it overly business-like. We want to enjoy it. I don't want to become one of those programs that, you know, the, the losses destroy you and the wins are expected. We want to enjoy the wins. Um, but, you know, in general, we, we want to try to stay as consistent as we possibly can as individuals and as an organization. I know it's important to have leaders in all aspects of what you're doing, but can you talk about Saquon's influence on the team in the weight room and what that guy does and how he maybe motivates guys with their strength training? I think in general, Saquon's a guy, you know, when, when your best player, argu arguably your best player, is is going to class every single day and doing really well academically when he goes to the weight room and is pushing everybody to be the best in the weight room. When he's out on the practice field, he's leading and going hard every single rep. It's kind of hard for the other guys not to. They say, Saquon Barkley is one of the most talented guys I've ever seen in my life, and he is one of the hardest working guys. How can I not do that? So I think when your best players are your best teammates and your hardest working guys, it sets the tone for the whole organization. And in a lot of ways, to be honest with you, Saquon's been like that since the day he stepped on, on campus. He has trusted us, and whatever we've asked him to do, he's done it 110%. And I think he's a great example of why he's been able to maximize his experience so so far um, you know, at Penn State is because of that. Now, obviously, he's a, he's a really, really talented guy, and that's part of it as well. The genetics are strong. Mom and Dad did a great job. I'm actually trying to figure out if, uh, if it's legal NCAA-wise. I want to send Mom and Dad on a romantic vacation and try to convince them to have more children because uh, the Saquon thing's worked out pretty well. But um, he's, a, he's a special guy, and really he's got a special family. I think as you guys get to know him better, Mom and Dad are, you know, could not be more direct, could not be more honest. Football's not a big deal in their family. Uh, it's, it's, they're a unique, special family. We've got a lot of respect for them. That's Penn State football head coach James Franklin earlier today in Chicago during Big Ten football media days. And in case you didn't, uh, we'll put, we'll put a footnote on that interview. Uh, with when when uh, coach addressed the media this morning, we'll put put a footnote on that in case you did not catch the news yesterday. Uh, it was uh, made official by a Penn State fo uh, Penn State football spokesperson that uh, Joey Julius, the kicker, uh, the lower Dolphin grad, is no longer with the football team. Of course, there is a well documented uh, uh, story of his uh, history with uh, uh, eating disorders. So definitely, uh, as you mentioned, the coach, uh, as the coach mentioned, uh, thoughts and prayers continue to uh, go out to. Uh, Joey Julius as uh, he continues uh, dealing with that. And, of course, the team moves on as well. Penn State, Akron, September 2nd. We'll have that here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. As we continue the Steve Jones Show, Sean Carey here in the Sunbury Motors studio. Well, it was last summer, the Rio Olympics, and Usain Bolt made history. Not many can claim that they have seen every gold medal winning sprint that Usain Bolt has had in his 
very decorated uh, Olympic history. And uh, one guy that fits into that category is Otto Bolden from NBC's Olympic coverage, and he spoke with Steve last year following the Rio Games. There were many stars in Rio that were competing, and there were certain stars that stood out as broadcasters. This was one of the stars that stood out as a broadcaster, Otto Bolden, four-time Olympic medalist himself. Otto, welcome. It is a pleasure to have you with us on the show. Thank you, Steve. Good to be with you. All right, so let's let's get to it. Obviously, a lot of people want to talk about Usain Bolt. You've seen all nine of his gold medals. What has been the separator, not just physically but mentally, that has allowed him to sustain excellence over a long period of time? Yeah, that, that's a good point. A lot of what he's doing, obviously he's physically gifted, but if you look at his body language, look at the body language of people running against him, he has won most of those races before the gun, long before the gun sounds. Um, one, a lot of people know, okay, well, this is a guy capable of running 9.6, that's something I've never done, or 9.5, that's something I've never done. But he comes to that, he comes to each race with such an air of nonchalance that I think people look at and they go, this guy's not concerned about me. So uh, I, I think that's that's his re- that's some some of his real genius. Um, how he's able to to show up at the line when all eyes are on him, um, with the sort of air of you know what me worry. Exactly. Now, you won four medals yourself. You won two in Atlanta, two in Sydney, so that four-year separator. He's done this over 8, 12, and 16, where a variety of things can happen to you. What does it take to keep yourself at a peak when you have a separation of four years before you go out and do something like that again? It takes a lot of belief, first of all. Um it's not that long ago, 2012, when Usain Bolt lost at his trials in both the 100 and the 200. And there were a lot of people at the time who were saying, okay, so Bolt has had a good run. He, he wowed us in 2008 with those fantastic world records. But now he has to exit stage right because Johan Blake, who is younger and hungrier, etc., um, is now going to assume the mantle. And, you know, we'll see how close Bolt can get in in the Olympics in 2012. And he came to the Olympics in London and crushed everybody again. And that is that says to me that this is somebody who has supreme belief in his abilities because we're not talking about the rest of the world saying he was done. People in Jamaica were saying, okay, so Bolt has sort of, you know, partied and hung out and here's a young lion who's basically come up and bit him in the neck. Um, so the fact that he has been able to do that through injury, through doubt, through all the things that happen to the guy who's walking around with the title of the world's fastest man is it says a lot about what he's been able to overcome. His his team has been supreme in terms of getting him ready, keeping him confident. Almost like almost like the heavyweight champion of the world. Where yeah, it's not gonna always be great in training. You're not always gonna have uh, life things that don't get in the way, but somehow when that when that bell sounds, he's always answered the bell. And that's been amazing. Now, what has it been about the United States in the relay where they've struggled over the years with the baton part of it? You watch. The exchange is important. What has kept them from succeeding and being the dominant relay team at times that they were in past Olympiads? 
Yeah, and we should probably preface this conversation by saying that the last two times the United States women have been in the Olympic Games, they have run the world record in 2012, the second fastest time ever in 2016, um, and won the gold both times. The men have not won um, a world or Olympic title since 2007. Um, world titles since 2007 have not won the Olympic title since 2000. Um, to answer your question, wow, I wish I knew because every it seems like every year it's something new. If I had to if I had to give you my analysis of it, I think you have to almost scrap the core of the people that you have because they they keep putting the same I'd say two or three or four guys and no it's not that one particular person every time, but it always seems like if you look at the composition of the of the US team over the last uh five to six years it's the same guys I prefer to, to to lose a couple times and get to stick around with new guys who are getting better than with guys who are who have always been there but seem to, to constantly make a mistake relay running re- requires some improv and as soon as things go badly um, that men's team has not been able to recover properly the Jamaicans have been flawless since 2008 it's not because they're necessarily um, that much better is because when things go wrong over the course of the race, they somehow have found a way to recover and and not make it a fatal mistake. So um, it's yeah, it, it's unfortunate and quite frankly, it's mind blowing that a team with that much depth um, has not been able to uh, to successfully you know get the job done in so long. The women, as you mentioned, have the right formula of speed and coordination on this. And you talk about the United States may, look, let's start over again. Is it just a a certain personality type it takes to run this in combination with the speed auto? Um, yeah, you want somebody who is going to. Quite frankly, I want a smart sprinter on my relay, and it's one. Of, it's one of the reasons why you see Allison Felix. Um, Allison Felix has been on the last two uh, United States gold medal winning teams, and she's been on quite a quite a few of their world championship teams. Now, there are people from the outside who look and they may say, "Hey, Allison Felix didn't run the hundred meter dash at the Olympic trials. In fact, she didn't even make a team in the two hundred. So how come she's on the four by one? Don't you know? Isn't the United States just blessed with all these sprinters? Absolutely. But how many of them have the experience that she has? How many of them are as smart as she is with the, with the baton in her hand? And that's why you see Allison Felix on those teams. And I think that they have not done that with the men. With the men, they have said, okay, well, this one got first, and this one got second, and this one got third, and this one got fourth. And let's take fifth and sixth, and that's, that's going to be our core. And to me, because you're the United States and you have all this depth, what you should say is, who are the four or five best um, handlers of the baton that we have? Let's start there and then we'll deal with the politics of okay well the guy who won the trials has to go and all that other stuff because to me they've they've just continued to, to put guys in a position to fail and it's like how many how many more attempts do you need I don't think anybody in the United States would complain if you said you know what you've already had three mistakes or three screw ups and uh, you'll never see a US relay again I don't think anybody would, would have a complaint about that um, the United States is all about second chances I don't know about third and fourth chances 
Right. Well, Allison Felix, of course, had a great career. She's going to turn 31 in November, for goodness sakes, and she's ended up winning nine medals in her career. What kind of standard has she set to then set the tone for future Olympians that can then try to duplicate that? Allison has had a remarkable career, um, and more importantly, she's paid her dues. Her first two Olympic Games did not go her way, um, in that she was trying to win the gold in 2004 and got silver in the 200. And she was trying to win the gold uh, four years later in Beijing and got silver. A lot of those medals um, have come in the 4x1 and have come in the 4x4, but I think what her real legacy is, is not being afraid to step out of your comfort zone. She has always stated that she hates the 400-meter dash. And yet you look up and you go, wow, she has two world championships. She has a world championship silver. She has an Olympic silver. And she has a world championship. Uh, she has an Olympic silver and a, and a world championship gold in that event. Uh, Allison is one of the very few Americans that has um, run in the Olympic Games for the United States in the 100, the 200, and the 400. I believe it's only one other person that's done it. So um, Allison has left a remarkable legacy, not just on the track, because she, obviously she's known for all those medals, but what she has done with uh, with the First Ladies uh, Council for, for fitness and so on with kids and, and a lot of the, the things that she that maybe don't make huge headlines I think is part of her amazing uh, history. She's going to be, you know, that, she's a one-of-a-kind talent, but she's also been a one-of-a-kind uh, off the track as well. Otto, Michael Johnson's record in the 400 stood for 17 years. That's a remarkable standard. But then you witnessed, along with Tom Hammonds, Wade Van Niekerk of South Africa, breaking that record. Discuss the run and what the moment felt like in the stadium to see such a long-standing record go by the boards. Well, that to me, and according to most of the polls that have come out since the Rio Olympic uh, track and field program, is the performance of um, the track and field program in the Olympic Games. Um, in terms of TV, we couldn't have done it better because we could have done something on Karani James, who was the defending champion. We could have done something on LaShawn Merritt, who had won the Olympic title in the 400 um, in 2008. We chose to go with a very strong uh, feature on Wade Van Niekerk, and you know, most people saw his, his coach who is a grandmother and his mother who could not compete even though she was a great athlete uh, because of the apartheid uh, era and uh, and we, we I thought we set it up perfectly in that you know nobody had ever won the Olympic Games from lane 8 there's been people who've won it from the outside lane back when it was 6 lanes but never from lane 8 um, I had actually been sort of teasing that race as the race to watch and uh, Al Michaels came over and we did a segment and I said you know it's going to take closer to 43 flat than 44 flat to win that event and people on social media would light me up oh stop with your usual exaggeration it's not gonna that world record is safe blah 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 and then the, <laughs> the gun goes off he can't see his, his two main uh, rivals behind him and he just never comes back to them 43.03 it, it was an amazing race the high point for me of the uh, of the entire game in terms of performance it reminded me of David Rudisha's um, 800 meter world record uh, four years ago in 2012 but what that kid means to that country and to that country's sporting legacy um, is amazing. So it was good to see a young, humble kid um, come to the Olympic Games and have that sort of story for, for all parties concerned. An amazing, amazing performance. 
it's a real plus to, to have you on there because you bring the sport to life for people and you bring it to them in a way that they can understand. Otto, thank you so much for the time you gave us today, for your perspective there and for your perspective today. It's greatly appreciated. Oh, I appreciate it greatly. Thank you very much. The outstanding Otto Bolton. Wow. Great to have him on. What a job he did for NBC and for everybody across the board.